This uniquely Milwaukee story contains content around war themes, dead bodies, and military violence. Please be advised when listening. It's funny how when you have an idea, the final product is nothing like you expected. For a while, I knew that I wanted to create a story around the refugee community here in Milwaukee. I was attending a Tables Across Borders event, which is a global food collaboration highlighting the cuisines of refugee chefs in Milwaukee, hosted by Kai Mishlov. And the story was going to be about food and community. And then I met a Syrian refugee named Tahini. We were talking via WhatsApp in Arabic, and she agreed to an interview. Before the recording, I asked my sister to assist me with the story because, you know, I was speaking in Arabi and I was scared of getting lost in the translation. I knew it was going to be a difficult conversation, but the story I heard, the story that you will soon hear, truly changed the way I look at things. The entire interview was recorded in Arabic. And I'm not gonna lie, it was a bit of a challenge, you know, thinking of a way to reveal her story in the most authentic way possible. The final product has been transcribed and translated into English and turned into a monologue written and voiced by me. This isn't a fabricated story. This is Tahini's story. This is Uniquely Milwaukee. It's everything you love about community stories, but more in depth giving the stories the time and attention they deserve, changing perspective one episode at a time. I'm your host, Salam Fatayed, and this is Uniquely Milwaukee, stories that stick with you. My name is Tahini, and I am a refugee from Syria, specifically the city of Darha, eight miles away from the Jordanian border. Keep that detail in mind. I like to think that I am a simple woman. I'm a mother, and my pride and joy is my family. In fact, I'm a mother of seven. My eldest is 22 years old, and I cannot believe he gets to experience adulthood. I never thought that our lives would be altered by rubble and destruction. I don't want to say that. In fact, thinking about it brings me back to that state of fear, and I'm not proud of it, but there was a time when I stopped believing that we would survive that my son wouldn't survive. I mean, so many families didn't. So what made mine so special? I mean, I hoped we would survive, but that glimmer of hope kept diminishing by the day. If you didn't know that I was the center of the chaos, in 2011, the siege of Dara occurred. It was a 10-day siege that left around 244 Syrians dead, many of which were children. It was in April. The days were warm and sunny, but the weather almost seemed unnoticeable because of all the corpses that filled up the streets. People were terrified of retrieving bodies because they were scared of being shot. So the dead just stayed there. Children stayed there, lifeless. The war in Syria was terrifying. Every corner, you were struck by horror. Not just for us as parents, but for the kids as well. For me, even though I am physically safe, my mind still feels like I'm on overdrive, constantly reminding myself that I am out of it, that I am here in Milwaukee and not stuck there. But it's something you cannot escape. It's not a movie you can turn off. 
the images of war stays with me. And no peace comes with war. And I want everyone to experience peace. I want my kids to feel at peace. Salam. I want them to have a bright future. I want my kids to evolve into a better generation, a generation that doesn't escalate to war. I was asked what was life like before the war, and it was effortless and uncomplicated. We were simple, but we were happy. My husband was a hard worker, he was a laborer, but we were content and happy. We always celebrated with friends and family, enjoying holidays, and then the war came and broke us. Our family is broken, not just mentally, but we're displaced. Our family ties are all over. We have family members in Surya, refugee camps, and some, some are dead. I'm the only one here in Milwaukee alongside my husband and kids. I didn't want to leave them behind. I didn't want to leave my mother, my father, my siblings behind, but my husband and I, we needed to get our children out. Sure, we thought it would only last a few months, a year tops, but it's been 10 years. It's like cutting a limb off your body and leaving it behind. And one day you need that body part, but it's no longer with you. The night we left studio, it was a chilling night. It was the first month of 2013. Our beloved country no longer had peace and security. When we would sleep, the soldiers would attack. And as a mother, I can't see my kids suffer. I found that the only solution was to leave Surya. The nation I love no longer could protect us. That was the reason to give our kids a chance. So I wouldn't have to bury any one of my children. I remember we only grabbed light foods like satar and lebne, the clothes on our back and our house key. The nine of us left late at night and we walked to the border of Jordan, eight miles. We were alongside another small group of Syrians trying to escape. My youngest was still a baby. The volunteer that helped us told me if my baby started to cry, then I would have to put rocks in their mouth so that my child wouldn't make a sound and reveal our location. I was scared to my bones, but I needed to stay strong for my kids. That pressure was on, but it was also on my eldest. He was only 12 years old at the time, and here he was putting on a brave face so he could help ease the fear for his younger siblings. Alhamdulillah, we made it to Jordan. It was the Zatari refugee camp, and it was in the middle of the desert. We first stayed in tents. And then if a family stayed long enough, you would be transitioned into a caravan. And three years later, three long years, I was told that the United States of America were helping families who were seeking asylum. And that's when we made it to Milwaukee. The transition was hard. The moment you open your doors, it's like you step into another world. America has a different culture, language, lifestyle that's different than my own. 
And because of the language barrier, it felt that even though I was speaking, I was forced to be silenced and mute. When we first came here, the organizers placed us on a house on the north side. And I put this lightly when I say that the house was run down. I mean, it felt unlivable. There was a moment when I thought that coming here was a mistake. I, I wanted to go back on that plane and go back to the desert. There were insects at every corner. And even though I had my husband and kids, I felt alone. Education was also a big challenge. My eldest was 15 at the time and his schooling was robbed from him. Not only from the war, but because of the discrimination we faced back in Jordan for being refugees. Add another language to learn over here. It's like we were already behind before we had a chance to start. But over time, that transition was easier. You know, you get to know your neighbors and people are kind. The first time I saw another Muslim and said, Assalamu alaikum, I almost burst into tears. It was proof that if they found safety and security here, then so can I. That glimmer of hope began again. I would love to go back to Syria, but it seems like it's not getting any better. At least here when we leave the house, each night we are reunited again under the same roof. When I put my head on the pillow, I can sleep a full night of rest. I'm thankful that we're here in Milwaukee. I want my kids to respect the city that gave them a second chance. I want them to get an education so they're not a burden to the place that welcomed them. The Syrian community suffered. Syria didn't protect its people. Syrians found safety by leaving. I'm starting to feel safe again. I'm 
الحبايب بيعدوا بعدوا الحبايب عجب العلي بيعدوا والقلب دايب بعدوا الحبايب بيعدوا 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 بعدوا الحبايب بيعدوا بعدوا الحبايب العلي بيعدوا والقلب Do you want to know the secret behind the programming you love? It's all funded by the Honor System. As a public radio station, we're based on a very simple model. We try to do something meaningful, connecting with you through music and stories. And then we count on those who appreciate what we do to show their support. Are you one of them? Show your support by visiting RadioMilwaukee.org and joining today. There's one bit of information that I didn't mention. When I was translating the story, I took the audio to a friend's house and a bunch of us heard it and collectively translated the audio. And it was such a surreal night. We all gathered around my friend Marlene's table and we were eating tacos and then this silence took over us because we're all Middle Eastern. And Tahini's story really stuck a nerve with all of us individually at different focal points. But as the story hit someone in a different way, our friend in particular, Ali Alewi, who is a Syrian-American and who was there in Syria right before the war happened. I texted him days later and asked if he would sit down with me and talk about that experience. Luckily for us, he said yes. So Ali, how was that experience like listening to the audio for the first time? Yeah, I mean, you don't know until you hear somebody talk about their experience too. And it can be like pent up thoughts about it. So obviously it's been going on for 11 years and just like hearing the firsthand experience from, from her and the impact it has on her family and, you know, trying to look at the bright side of life and looking out for future generations, but still having like a limb left behind in your homeland. Kind of, it got me, that was a strong point there, but yeah. And having my, you know, I went back to my own family, so um, I have stories behind that too, but it's definitely something that, you know, took time to really understand and, it's easy to be here in the U.S. where you don't feel as connected to the issue until you have people that are, you know, refugees that come over or you hear stories about your own family or, you know, you think back to a time when you were in that country and you're like, I was there and right where you see it on the news and, you know, it's not there anymore. Yeah, that that's incredibly heartbreaking. I can't even imagine. But... You know, your your dad is Syrian and your mom is from Alabama, but you did grow up, you know, visiting Syria as a kid. How was that like growing up going there? Yeah, I grew up in the 90s and I was fortunate to be able to travel overseas for months at a time, sometimes up to five, six months, leaving school early and staying with my family there, going from city to city in the country staying a couple weeks in one city, going to another city, staying a couple weeks at my uncle's house, or going up to other cities. Just like Kamishli, Raqqa, Hasake, Damascus, Halab. I've been to Hama, Homs, and Palmyra too. So 
we've always had our cycle through the country growing up. And life there was obviously different. No internet. No, you know, it's just a different way of life. And as a kid being raised to stay there for months at a time, you, you really get that understanding of how people live and what family means to, you know, the Middle East in general. I think it's not just Syria. I, I realize that it's more, you know, Palestinian, Lebanese, they're all the same. Yeah, it, it, it is quite, you know, um, interesting that that experience, the Middle Eastern experience is somewhat universal. I mean, I'm Palestinian. I lived there for six years. Um, and I, I, I feel like when I was listening to Tahini's story and, you know, interacting with you today is that there are so many parallels, even though there's like contrasting differences that I, I see myself as her. I can see myself like you um, having relatives overseas and that distance of being in, the, in, in America. But, you know, the last time you were in Syria was late 2010 and you were 22 years old. And that was right before the war started. Do you have any moments that you would like to share from that time? Just the experience of the war and being in Syria right before it happened, those memories to me are like very important. Like even playing like bis bis with my cousin where I'm like literally smacking her hands on pillows, right? That's the game. I was traveling the country on my own, which was even cooler. Just traveling on my own was empowering. Being in the country on my own is, is great. Being able to have the hobby that I have. One especially cool moment of mine was being on a train from Raqqa to Kamishli, which is in the northeast corner, as I mentioned. On this train, there was a family of Kurdish people, and I didn't understand the kids in the back of this train car, and I was just sitting there, but I had my headphones in listening to some music, and there was like a, a storm outside, a sandstorm, and a Kurdish family, and the daughter and the son were all, like intrigued by me, but I didn't understand a word they were saying. And in that moment, I was just like, wow, this is so cool. Like, I can relate to these kids, but I don't really know what they're saying. Right. And just like just playing with them on this train car that took like, it was an eight hour, it was a long train ride. I didn't know that. <laughs> it was supposed to be an, an express train, right? And my, my cousin said cool. express. <laughs> and I was like, I got there, I was exhausted. Overall, I feel like it's going to be a lifelong reflection. I'm not going to really understand it. Nobody understands war. I don't know when I'll go back to the country. I hope to, inshallah, sooner than later. But what that means for me, I know I've had to, you know, just feel it out. In your opinion, here in Milwaukee, is there a big Syrian community? And how can our listeners support the Syrian community? Overall, I think it's a it's a growing community. And obviously, like, food is a focal point of, of Middle Eastern culture. And, and I think... Being able to welcome people into each other's homes, I think that's the, the first step is like just having a strong communal just connection with everybody. That, that's the first, like just family to family, keep that you know, communication open. But then on, on a business front, I think that we can support you know, Syrian businesses if they're out there. You know, I think refugees that come over that have gotten here, I think we should look out for them and definitely support them where we can just inviting them into our home you know just being open is there anything that you would like to say that you hope people would understand it's more empathy it's more just the patience to to welcome people and it 
it transcends to not just Syrian people. It's like any other people around the world that have issues that we don't really, we separate ourselves here. I feel like it's too easy to be comfortable in the U.S. And being uncomfortable is what we want to feel again and again from time to time. On top of that, too, it's not only the immediate impact of it, right? Rebuilding a country, it's a lot of it's down to the education, right, of, of children that they don't get that for 10, 11 years, right? So they have to, that sets back generations more than anything. I can't help but think about that day, the day that I interviewed Tahini, and she was so welcoming. I met some of her kids. They offered us some fruit. And even though the conversation was incredibly traumatic, she opened up her doors, her heart, her arms willingly. And I remember that drive back home. I was with my sister. We were driving back home, and it was a silent car ride. And I, I felt so odd. You know, it was a mixture of feeling hopelessness, rage, and empathy, and I felt the same way after speaking to Ali. You know, we ended up that night with Ali playing pool. And I would like to add that my team won. But Ali said something that helped me use those feelings of hopelessness, rage, and empathy, and really turn it into something useful. You see, I, I strongly believe that sharing stories is incredibly impactful. It's my ethos. But we can't get there. We can't get to the stories unless we start talking and doing what Ali mentioned opening our doors, welcoming folks, and talking to our neighbors. And I really hope this uniquely Milwaukee story helps our community continue to bridge those gaps and talk to someone that you're not really familiar with. I'm your host, Salam Fatayed. Thank you to Nate Imig, our executive producer. Kenny Perez, our audio engineer. Thank you for our marketing team led by Sarah Lar. Graphics and our wonderful logo is made by Aaron Bagada. And Dan Ryder handles our social media accounts. And a big special thank you to our city-loving members for making Uniquely Milwaukee possible. Tune in next Monday for our next episode.